The Bible tells us that prior to his return to heaven in the ascension, Jesus was on earth for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. 40 days. That's almost six weeks or a month and a half. And you would think the Gospels would have lots of stories about those special days. Except they don't. We actually know very little about that time. Today on Groundwork, we begin a new series to look at the handful of incidents we do have in the Bible as to what Jesus said and did after Easter. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, Daryl, we are launching into a four-part series, not real long, but a four-part series. And as we just said, what we're going to be doing in this series is looking at the stories, and there aren't a lot of them, of stuff that happened in those 40 days between Easter and Ascension Day. If you look in Scripture, you'll realize that there aren't very many accounts of what happened. There's not a whole lot of detail. But the good news is I believe that the gospel writers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us exactly what we need. So we don't need to speculate. We don't need to guess. But just the facts. We only have the essentials, and that is enough for our faith. And we should say right at the outset of this series, Daryl, this isn't just idle curiosity or just sort of, you know, geeking around the Bible. This has deep meaning for us. And at the end of each episode, we're going to say, how does this minister to us? How does this speak to us even yet today? So we want to make clear that what we're going to see in these few stories have a lot to do with our lives right now. But what do we have uh, in, in the New Testament? We'll start with that. One thing we have in all the Gospels are some immediate things that happened right after Jesus was raised on the day of the resurrection. After that, though, there isn't a whole lot. In Matthew, the only thing we get beyond the day of the resurrection is the very end, just the last couple of verses when Jesus gives the Great Commission. That's all Matthew gives us after the day of resurrection. Now, Mark doesn't actually give us anything at all. I mean, his gospel is the brief, is the most brief. It is the earliest gospel account. So he doesn't give us anything there. But Luke gives us the road to Emmaus and, and then even Acts, we get Jesus' ascension. So at least Luke gives us more than what Mark gives us. Right. And we'll be looking at that road to Emmaus story in our second program in this series. John is the one who gives us the most. Uh, we have two incidents on the evening of the first Sunday of Easter and the Sunday after that, one with Thomas present, one with Thomas absent. The first one is when he's absent. But then we get John 21, which we'll also be looking at, where we get the story on the beach. So John actually gives us several incidents. Mark gives us zero. Matthew only gives us the Great Commission, but John's the one that we'll be going to also in this series. But why don't we have more, Daryl? I mean, you would think everything Jesus said and did as the resurrected Lord would be so important. There'd be chapters and chapters of what happened in those 40 days, but it's not. Why not? Well, I believe, Scott, one of the reasons why not is because Jesus pretty much embodied the essence of the mission Mm -hmm. of God. So he did all the teaching. He did all the preaching. He did all the healing. He did everything that needed to be done and taught us everything we need to know about the kingdom of God. So he also helps us to learn what it means to be a disciple. Then he goes on and gets crucified and dies for us in our sins. I don't think there's much more to add there. (laughs) The Bible calls Jesus the amen. I mean, that's the amen. He really proved everything. If you want to know what he did, you probably should just go back and look at it. Exactly. And indeed, a lot of scholars have pointed out for a long time that among other things, the father raising the son to life in Easter was like the father's giant stamp of approval. 
on everything. Jesus. You remember the transfiguration, Daryl? God spoke from the clouds, so this is my beloved son, and then listen, listen to, to him. him. And at the end of it, after the resurrection, God's saying the same thing. Listen to him. In fact, in, in Mark's gospel, right, the, the gospel ends in fearful silence, and that's weird, right? The women don't say anything to anyone because they're afraid. Boom, end of the gospel. And then the women are told, go to Galilee, tell the disciples, go to Galilee. Well, where in Mark's gospel is Galilee, it's in chapter one. And so some scholars think that that Galilee reference and the ending in silence is an invitation to the reader to go back and reread the whole gospel. Now that you've been to the cross, now that you understand the nature of the Messiah, reread it because you didn't understand it the first time. Reread it. It's all there before the crucifixion. And, you know, you see that in John's gospel too. How often doesn't John say, you know, when Jesus said that, we didn't get it. Right. But later after he was raised, we did. And we're all invited to do that because Jesus said everything that needed saying before he died. It's kind of like that good book or that well-produced movie that puts details throughout the whole story. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really gel for you until you see it in full. But then you got to go back and watch it again and say, oh, these are the details that I missed. I think that's how the Gospels are supposed to be read. You're supposed to read them. You're supposed to reread them. You're supposed to continue to look back and remember the things that Jesus taught because the deeper it gets in you, the more you get actually review it. So I don't like when people say, yeah, I read it. I I got it. I heard it. But if you read you read it, there's more there. The, the scripture's inexhaustible. Exactly, it is. Well, let's now dig into scripture as we do here on Groundwork. Let's go, uh, Daryl, to uh, what Matthew tells us, uh, the immediate aftermath in chapter 28 of the day of the resurrection, starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards are so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Well, you can see, Scott, in this passage that you actually can see in all the passages. They don't don't all have the same account. It's kind of like when you see people who are at a scene of a car accident, there's different accounts and it's not about who's lying or whatever. They all have their own personal account of right. the incident that happened. So each gospel has a different vantage point. And what I think is a really interesting thing to point out is the fact that these women are the first ones on the scene. They're the first responders. And in a male dominated society, that actually speaks volumes. Yeah. They were the ones who stuck with Jesus at the cross after the disciples had all fled. And now they're the first ones to go to the tomb the day after the Sabbath day rest. And the men are nowhere to be seen. So we got Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. That's all Matthew says. Uh, We might get a little more uh, detail from Luke that we'll see in a little while on this program. Uh, But they're told an amazing thing. He is risen. And you know what, Daryl, what's interesting is that, of course, they're joyful. But, you know, The world had never seen something like this before. They had never seen something like this before. And so guess what? We're told three times the word afraid. (laughs) They were joyful, but they were afraid. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because when you come up on something so new, 
I think fear is kind of a natural reaction. It's totally understandable. If you're standing in front of a celestial being, you've never seen that before, to have a fear response. Well, the good news is that God is there to comfort them. The angels are there to comfort them and actually bring them good news to let them know that they actually don't have to be afraid, but there's actually something they need to do. So here's the other thing. They are told to go to Galilee. Galilee is the place that's very significant in this ministry, and you can tell them why, Scott. Well, that's where it began, right? That's where Jesus began in Galilee. Um, Galilee, I think, becomes a symbol of humility, the humility of Jesus' ministry. It's not the big flashy city, Jerusalem. Galilee is kind of gateway to the rest of the world. Ground zero. Exactly right. The odd thing is, is that, of course, the resurrected Jesus and all the disciples and the women are in Jerusalem right then and there. And the women see him there briefly. But Galilee is 80 miles north. Now, think about walking on foot, because that's all they could do. They couldn't hop on a taxi or a bus, right? 80-mile walk to go see Jesus. There must be something significant about Galilee to make them hoof it all the way up there. And it's, I think, what we just said. It's a gateway to the rest of the world. It's a sign of the humble nature of Jesus' ministry. It's where it began, and now it's where it's beginning again. But we have a couple of other accounts of things that happened on that Easter day. And so in just a moment, we'll take a look at what Luke and John have to tell us. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay a foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, let's dig right back into Scripture and uh, tell us what Luke has to tell us about uh, that Easter morning from Luke 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So there is Luke's account of that amazing morning, very similar uh, to Matthew. First, it uh, doesn't look like Luke's going to give us any more idea of uh, who the women were, but he does. 
eventually, and uh, names three of them, uh, Mary Magdalene again, uh, Mary, mother of James, and then a woman named Joanna. I don't think we know anything much about Joanna, but her name's in here. But then there were other women, too. So we don't know if there were five women or seven or ten, but for sure, Luke tells us, and remember, Luke was the meticulous researcher, (laughs) there were more than three. And he gives us not the one angel we saw in Matthew, but two angels. So, again, Scripture shows how these faithful women were the first responders on the scene to talk about, actually, they experienced what happened. And then when they go back to the apostles, the apostles don't believe them, even though they're actually obeying the message of the angels to go back and share the good news. You know, what you would love to read is, and then the disciples, you know, fell on their knees and they praised God and they sang for joy at the resurrection of their Lord, except no. Uh, instead, uh, they respond by rolling their eyes. They think it's just a crazy story. And in fact, there's a word here in Greek called leros, which is only used in the whole Bible here, and it means nonsense. It just sounded goofy to them. It sounded to them as if, you know, if somebody came up to you on the street and said, your female uncle understands the ways of the spotted Jabberwocky in Tasmania, dude. You'd say, okay, this person's just a little left to center. Uh, Walk away quietly because that's nonsense. That makes no sense at all. First ever sermon on the gospel, Daryl. Nonsense, the disciples said. You know, it's interesting because the historical account of witnesses, as far as Jewish history goes, they needed two or three witnesses, but most of the time those were male witnesses. So for women to have a witness, they didn't expect them to have an accurate testimony because, again, in their male-dominated society where they don't believe this, um, that women can actually have an accurate account of something. So they didn't pay attention to them. And then I think another thing that really stuck out in the verse to me is that this whole part where the angel says, remember what he told you? Remember? Jesus already told you this was going to happen. Remember? So he's trying to jog their memory. And remembering is a wonderful and powerful tool that God has been using all out throughout Scripture to help us reflect on what he has done and who his character is. I think that we will be empowered in our faith each and every day. Yeah, that's what we were said at the end of the first segment of this program, Daryl, and you were saying it. We're called not just to read the Bible, but reread it and reread it and reread it, and you're going to keep making new discoveries by the Holy Spirit when you do. Now let's look at one final story in this segment. This is from John 20, and we're going to start at verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Oh, they've taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things he had said to her. This message is powerful for many reasons. I really like how the fact that he 
called her name and that is when she recognized him. Mm-hmm. Again, Jesus is under the radar. She thinks he's the gardener. She thinks that he's just some unassuming character, which is, speaks to the humility of our Lord in this situation. Right. Uh, but then he wants her to not cling on to him. That's a very curious passage. Don't hold on to me. That's right. Don't hold on to me because I haven't ascended yet. It's like, yep, but She's not going to be a hold on to you after you ascend either. But I think, Daryl, probably this is more metaphorical. In other words, you can't tie me down to earth. You can't keep me here. You can't freeze me here. I'm going to have to leave. That's kind of a paradox, right? For him to do the work in the church that needs doing, he has to leave. And then let the Holy Spirit empower us to do what needs happening. So I think that, you know, don't hold on to me means, you know, you can't keep me here, Mary. But Daryl, he also has some interesting uh, language that he uses here about uh, where he's going and to whom he's going. So this is the first time that Jesus actually goes into saying, this is our father, Mm. your father and my father. That's where I'm going. I'm going to see your father and my father, our father. And most of the time in the the New Testament, when Jesus is talking, he always says, my father, my father. But because of the resurrection, because we now have divine access to the father, to the throne, he is opening the way saying, this is our father. And that is a very encouraging passage for us to remember that now we have access to him. And we see in these stories that these things are happening after Jesus has raised, um, but we haven't really talked about what they mean for us. And so as we go into this final segment, I'd like us to turn towards the practical application of this. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this first episode in a four-part series looking at what the Gospels tell us Jesus did between Easter morning and his Ascension Day 40 days later. And Daryl, we want to make a few observations to see how this connects to our lives today. We've looked at the stories from Matthew, Luke, and John. They do have something to do with our lives right now today, and that's one of the things we want to talk about. I think his first important to note that there's something common to all the four accounts. And it's really the fact that no one saw Jesus physically walk out of the tomb. What's interesting to me is that this, the gospels don't give you what they don't have. They're not making up these things. They're not trying to sensationalize the message. They're going exactly with the just the facts kind of approach. We see this is what happened. We got to there and he wasn't there. We wrote down what we had and we wanted to make sure that everyone knew this is the most accurate account that we could give. You know, one of the things that lends itself to the authentic reading of the um, of the Gospels is that they didn't jazz up the gospel. I mean, you know, if you really wanted to convince people, you'd say, what? You know, I know Frank, and he was standing there that morning, and he saw Jesus walk right out of the tomb. No, nobody saw Jesus walk out of the tomb, and so they don't pretend otherwise. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're being honest, and I think that's an important thing uh, to think about. Another thing, though, Daryl, that I think applies to our lives yet today is the fact that the resurrection accounts, when you really kind of think about them, they're rather on the low-key side of things. 
Yeah, so when we think about Easter Sunday, as opposed to Good Friday and Ash Wednesday, there's so much celebration. There's so much jubilation. Yeah. There's big music. There's bring out the choir. There's everybody's loud. It's, it's wonderful, right? Exciting. But then when you look in scripture, you don't see all of that pomp. You don't see all of that celebration. Maybe one time you saw it and that was during the Palm Sunday appearance. But other than that, the resurrection, a lot of people might have missed it. That's how low key it was. The irony, and we've, we've talked about this before on Groundwork, Daryl, but the irony is that a lot of our Easter worship services are more jazzed up than the Bible <laughs> itself. Uh, you know, we got all, we hire extra brass and the organ is at full throttle. We put the hallelujah chorus at the end, like the exclamation point on the whole thing. But that's more energy than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. Jesus is, it seems like he's always quietly walking up from behind. Even Jesus' resurrection was done in a very humble way. I mean, it's, it's not his time period, but just think about our time period. He didn't rent out a TV spot or have a special commercial to announce it. He didn't put it all over the Internet. Even during his time, he didn't make sure that Herod and Caesar knew. Um, he did what he did. And some people, like I said, it went under the radar and some people missed it. But he actually came in in a low-key way. He's the one that is unassuming gardener. He's very intimately connected to the people, but most people will miss it because it's humble. Exactly. And here's what I've taken away, Daryl, when I've preached on these texts, and uh, I think maybe I'm sure we've mentioned this at some point in the history of Groundwork before, too, but it bears repeating. I think that that feature to how the Gospels describe the resurrection is hopeful to me because it fits my ordinary days, right? How many days do you have, Daryl, where the trumpets are blaring and the hallelujah <laughs> chorus is sounding and bright lights are shining on you? You know, we don't live in the kind of jubilation and glory we crank up on Easter morning in church. Most of our days are kind of ordinary. Right. Most of our days are kind of quiet and humble. But if Jesus, as the resurrected Lord in the Gospels, is that humble, then— then we are assured he's still with us now, too, even right. on our quiet days or even on our low days. I mean, he comes up behind Mary Magdalene when she's weeping her eyes out. Yes. But we all have days when we're crying. The gospel says that's when Jesus is with you. Uh, we serve a God who is with us on a mountain high experiences yeah. and a valley low experiences. And in, in the ordinary, mundane and regular things, this God is with us right there. And that is very encouraging to me that my life is pretty ordinary, just like you. I don't see any trumpets or I don't hear any music because I don't have a theme song going on behind me. <laughs> but what, what I do have is a God who understands in the repetitive parts of life, in the rat race, in the temptations. He knows what that like because he's been there with me and he's been there with you as well, Scott. Exactly. And that's the promise. You know, we started this uh, program digging into Matthew 28 and his account there of um, Easter. But Matthew has a theme and the theme of Matthew is Emmanuel, God with us. We get it in chapter one uh, when the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's chapter one. And then he bookends it at the end of Matthew chapter 28 
when he gives the great commission to the disciples, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. There it is to the very end of the age. With you, Emmanuel, with you, with us, uh, the with us God. That's what Matthew presents to us. And as we just said, Daryl, compared to what you might expect to read about the resurrection in those simple stories we read here today on Groundwork, of uh, those very first encounters of the resurrected Jesus, we're reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel. Uh, in circumstances that are glad and sad, on days when we feel hopeful, and on days when we feel a little lost, uh, on days when there are trumpets blaring, we do have good days, but on the days when that seems like a distant memory, that's the good news of the gospel. God is with us. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is with us always. That's the gospel. That's good news. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we study what happens when Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>